Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Those songs took me back a ways. And uh, welcome to those who are here for the uh, Glen Kirk Student Ministry in the 70s reunion. And we're excited to have uh, Pastor Terry Nelson, who was youth pastor back then, with us today. Um, but if you weren't in youth ministry in the 70s, we're glad that you're here as well. Um, if you were born in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s, <laughs> um, so welcome today. You know, I first learned about spiritual practices when I was 16 years old going to Alateen meetings. For those who don't know, Alateen is a part of Al-Anon, the 12-step recovery program for family members who have people in their family with addictions. And as the name suggests, Alateen is for teenagers. And when I was in high school, I went to Alateen for a couple of months. And that was the first time I remember praying the Lord's Prayer in an Alateen meeting. It was the first time I heard people talk about things like prayer and meditation and journaling. When they passed the offering plate, it was the first time I remember seeing an offering and hearing people talk about giving and generosity. Prayer, meditation, giving are all spiritual practices that we commonly associate with people who go to church. Yet for me, who didn't grow up going to church at all, my introduction to spiritual practices took place there. A lot of people engage in spiritual practices, not just church people. According to a LifeWay survey a year ago, 65% of Americans pray at least once a month. 31% pray every day. 35% of Americans read their Bible at least once a week. And last year, Americans collectively gave nearly $5 billion to charities. Why do people engage in these kinds of practices? What do spiritual practices do in our lives? Well, that depends. We're in a series through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that we're calling Reformed. And this series has been focused on discipleship. Here at Glen Kirk, we call discipleship a journey of becoming becoming more fully devoted followers of Jesus. And as part of this focus on discipleship, last week, as Pastor Kate said, we kicked off our seven-week discipleship groups. So far, we know of about 220 of us who are part of one of these discipleship groups. And if you're in a group we don't know about yet, please let us know. Today, we're going to talk about reforming our spiritual practices. As we begin Matthew chapter six. So I want to invite you, if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word from Matthew six, verses one through four. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You can be seated. The first 18 verses of Matthew 6 deal with what Jesus calls practicing our righteousness. These practices of righteousness are what I'm referring to as spiritual practices. Some of you might call them spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits. And in this chapter, Jesus gives us three examples of spiritual practices, giving the topic of today's passage, and then prayer and fasting in verses 5 through 18, which we'll look at next week. These three practices, giving, prayer, and fasting, were the three central spiritual practices of Jesus's day. But there are also examples of three different kinds of spiritual practices. Giving is a practice that's outward, where our practice is directed towards other people. Service and community are also examples of these outward practices. And if our giving is outward, prayer is an example of a practice that's directed towards God. It's Godward. Worship and praise are other examples of Godward spiritual practices. And then fasting is an inward spiritual practice. In fasting, we focus on ourselves, not in a selfish kind of way, but in a way that helps us see what needs to change inside of us. And in a way that helps us identify where God is working within us. Silence and solitude are other examples of inward spiritual practices. So outward, Godward, and inward. Now, at last weekend's men's retreat, one of the guys of Glenkirk asked me about a tension that exists between Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. And maybe you're noticing this tension too. In chapter 5, Jesus said, don't hide your light, but let your light shine in front of people so they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But here Jesus says, but don't practice your righteousness in front of other people. Can you feel the tension here? When it comes to giving, Jesus warns us about announcing our giving with trumpets. Better to give in secret. When it comes to prayer, we'll see next week that Jesus warns us about public prayers with, with lots of words. Better to pray in private. When it comes to fasting, Jesus warns us about letting people know when we're fasting. Better to fast in secret. How do we reconcile this tension? Well, I think we find a clue in verse 1 with that phrase, to be seen. To be seen. In the Greek, this phrase is what's called a purpose clause. Jesus is warning us about doing spiritual practices for the purpose of being seen by other people. When our purpose in doing a spiritual practice is to draw attention to ourselves to be seen, we don't receive any spiritual benefit from that practice. Jesus' teaching about secrecy here confronts our tendency 
to do spiritual practices for show. If you can't stop yourself from wanting to be seen, it's better to do practices secretly. Now, there are plenty of examples in the Bible of disciples of Jesus engaging in these practices in front of other people. The Apostle Paul took public offerings in his churches, including the church in Corinth. And in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 12, we read about Christians gathering together as a group to pray together. And in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, we read about the church in Antioch fasting together. So the earliest Christians did not interpret Jesus's teachings here as an absolute rule about secrecy. Instead, I think Jesus gives us this teaching to do a gut check in us. That before we engage in any spiritual practice, Jesus wants us to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? Is it to be seen by others? Or is it part of my relationship with God? And if I can't stop myself from the need to be seen, I should do it secretly. Uh, a Scottish theologian named A.B. Bruce puts it this way. We should show when we're tempted to hide and hide when we're tempted to show. I think that's a pretty good insight. Now, another part of verse one that might concern us a little bit is Jesus's teachings here about getting rewards from our spiritual practices. That, that just doesn't sit well with us. Am I to imagine that God will heal my friend of cancer if I just pray enough? Or is Jesus saying that I can bring my wayward daughter back to her faith if I just skip enough meals in fasting? Will my income double if I just give more money to the church or to the poor? This kind of idea and kind of thinking is what lies at the heart of what's sometimes called prosperity theology. In prosperity theology, our faith becomes like a vending machine where I put a spiritual practice into the machine and pull a lever so I can get something that I want. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying when he talks about rewards here. Years ago, C.S. Lewis addressed this question of rewards in the Christian life in an essay called The Weight of Glory. Maybe some of you have read it. And Lewis points out in that essay that there are two different kinds of rewards, what he calls mercenary rewards and what he calls proper rewards. Now, a mercenary reward is a reward that has no connection to the thing that you've done that you're being rewarded to. Like a, a mercenary soldier fights for money, not out of love for country or for a cause they believe in. I like to use the word transactional to describe what Lewis calls mercenary rewards. It's a kind of reward that's tacked on at the end of an activity. It's a transaction but then there's what Lewis calls proper rewards. And what he means by that is a reward that is organically connected to the action that we're engaged in, that we get rewarded for. I like to use the word transformational to describe what Lewis means by proper rewards. Let me give you a couple of examples. If I promise to take my fourth grader to Disneyland, if he gets an A in math, that is a transactional reward 
what, what Lewis calls a mercenary reward, because there's nothing intrinsically related to getting better at math and going to Disneyland, unless it's you counting how much money it's going to cost you to take them to Disneyland. But transactional rewards are tacked on at the end of an activity. Transformational rewards are rewards that are connected to the activity itself. I'll give you an example. My stepdaughter was an average student during her first year of college at APU. Her grades weren't bad, but they also weren't great. But then her sophomore year of college, she got her first A. And suddenly, she felt a sense of achievement, a, a, a sense of satisfaction that came from that A. And the reward of how she felt was connected to the actions that she took to get that A. It was transformational. She kept getting A's after that because of the reward of how it made her feel. That's a transformational reward. So when it comes to rewards, spiritual practices are transformational, not transactional. They're transformational. We don't pray so we can get a reward that's disconnected from the action of prayer. We pray that so, so that through prayer, we're rewarded with the benefits that come from prayer, a closer relationship with God, a greater awareness of God's presence in our lives, alignment of our will with the will of God. These are transformational rewards because they're connected to prayer. Lewis says that we should long for proper rewards transformational rewards that are naturally connected to the activities themselves. Now, let's explore how this works with the spiritual practice of giving, the subject of verses two through four. The specific word Jesus uses for giving in verse two refers to giving money to people who are in need. Back in spring, we did a series on money from the book of Proverbs called Money Wise. And when we talked about giving, Pastor Kate spoke and she reminded us that there are two kinds of giving mentioned in the Bible, giving to support our church community and giving to help people who are in need. Now, obviously, these kinds of giving overlap because our giving to our church is some of it is funneled to people who are in need, as we've heard this morning from uh, Julie and Living Room International, and as we do with all of our other ministry partners. But although what Jesus says here applies to our church giving, his focus is on giving to people who are in need that we encounter. Notice in verse 2, Jesus says, when you give. He doesn't say, if you give. He expects disciples of Jesus to share what they have with those who are in need. The spiritual practice of giving is a part of discipleship. It's part of what marks a difference between people who remain in the crowds and hear Jesus and those who step out of the crowds and follow Jesus. And he warns that some people give for show. They announce it with trumpets, calling attention to their generosity for everyone else to see. And they, they, they reason that, that maybe others will be inspired when they see how generous I am. Some philanthropist will call a press conference and present a huge check with the dollar amount of their gift printed in large letters for everyone to see. And 
Some people give with strings attached, like naming a building after a donor's grandmother. This is what Jesus refers to in verse 2 as giving to be honored by others. This approach to giving is transactional. They receive the full benefit by being seen by others. To combat transactional giving, Jesus urges us to give in a way that doesn't call attention to our giving. Bible scholar John Stott points out that sometimes when we give, we silently congratulate ourselves for how generous we are. We like pat ourselves on the back. And so not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing is a way of saying, don't make a big deal out of your giving, even to yourself. Give generously, unselfconsciously. But if we want our giving to be transformational instead of transactional, I think we find a couple of principles here. here here's a principle. When we give out of love for people, God reforms us into compassionate disciples. Compassionate disciples. Giving is first and foremost about responding to other people's needs. And you have to care about people. And Jesus is saying that when you give because you care, your capacity to care will grow. It will enlarge. As we learn to give out of love for people, our capacity to love people more gets larger. On Thursday, this last week, we said goodbye to one of our longtime members here at Glenkirk, Howard Cantor. Howard's been a part of Glenkirk since the 1970s. And about 15 years ago, Howard was part of a group of people from Glenkirk that helped start a ministry called Shepherd's Pantry. Shepherd's Pantry is a ministry to people experiencing food insecurity in our community. And today they have three locations all around the San Gabriel Valley. Harold and others of you were moved because you cared about people who are facing insecurity in our community. And as they did, they became, they grew to become more compassionate disciples of Jesus. Years ago in this very room, one of Glenkirk's associate pastors, a pastor named Fulton Lytle, handed out $100 bills to random people on a Sunday morning. And then he encouraged the people who received those $100 bills to use that money to plant seeds to impact other people for Jesus. Well, one person in our church used that $100 bill to start a food bank ministry. She appropriately called it Sowing Seeds for Life. When Sowing Seeds for Life started in 2007, it provided food for about 100 families. Today, it provides food for more than 7,000 families. That ministry started out of love for God. And the people who started it were formed in their discipleship to become more compassionate. I know business owners in our church who reserve a portion of their profits to respond with love for people who are in need to, to ministries that we partner with here in the community. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not a business owner. I can't start a food bank. Maybe you don't have much. Maybe you live from paycheck to paycheck. Now, let me tell you about my oldest son. When he went off to college, 
he decided to sponsor a child with World Vision. And I said, are you sure you can afford that as a 18-year-old college student? Well, he got a part-time campus job for minimum wage in the library. And each month, he faithfully sent in his support for that child. Then he started buying non-perishable food items and keeping them in the trunk of his 1989 Toyota Camry that he got from his grandmother before he went off to college. And when he encountered someone experiencing food insecurity, he'd stop and share some of the food and ask about their story. Anyone can respond to people's needs out of love. And when we give out of love for people, instead of a a desire to be seen, we become reformed to become more compassionate. When we give out of love for God, God also reforms us to become humble disciples. See, transformational giving is motivated by love for people and love for God. They go together. The person who gives transactionally in order to be seen by others is often feeding their own pride. The more they give, the more their pride swells. They become concerned with their reputation, their status, how other people view them. They want to be admired by other people. They want their picture affixed in the lobby. But let me tell you, pride does not help us in discipleship. Pride is an obstacle, not an ally in the journey of discipleship. The person who gives quietly, unassumingly, is one who gives out of love for God. They're giving because they know God is transforming them through the practice of giving. God is reforming their pride, and we all have it. Reforming it into humility. And that kind of giving is transformational. There's a quote from uh, your... uh, reformed Bible study booklet that you got last week. And we, we still have some more of these if you didn't get one last week. Um, there's a quote in day three of your study this week from a pastor named Marietta Anschwitz. Pastor Marietta says that every time we give without expecting anything in return, we find that a piece of our own broken lives has been mended. See, the spiritual practice of giving changes us. It helps us grow as humble disciples. And this this is why the spiritual practice of giving is different than fundraising. Fundraising is transactional. And believe me, with nine kids, I have done my share of fundraising. Club soccer, marching band, civil air patrol, climbing team, jazz band, little league. And occasionally we have fundraisers here at Glenkirk. Our annual rummage sale is a fundraiser for camp scholarships and our students do fundraisers at times. Nothing wrong with an occasional fundraiser. But our central strategy for funding Glenkirk's ministry is discipleship, not fundraising. Cultivating disciples of Jesus who are growing in the transformational practice of giving. And as they do, they give to fund the kind of ministry that God called us to, and they grow in their own discipleship. Many people engage in spiritual practices. They read their Bibles, they pray, they worship, they serve. Some practice solitude, meditation, fasting, silence. 
but sometimes we don't know why we're doing it. Or we approach these practices transactionally to try to get something from God that we want or to try to curry God's favor or try to make up for something bad that we did. Sometimes we engage in practices to show people how spiritually we we are. We need these spiritual practices, but we need to be reformed in how we do them to approach them as transformational, not transactional. To look for God's rewards rather than the applause and honor of others. To give out of love for people so our capacity to care grows and to give out of love for God so that our pride dissipates and we become more humble. That kind of practice will change your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words of Jesus that challenge us, Lord. These words that invite us to come out of the crowd to merely hear and listen and be inspired, but to come out of the crowd and to follow, to trust, to live as disciples. And Father, thank you that you are a God who has withheld nothing good from us. You have given us everything we need to live this life that you have called us to. There is no good gift that you have held back, even to the point of giving us your son. May we receive that with gratitude, filled with with praise for your goodness. And may we respond by trusting you to learn to be people who give. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.